0: That we now have life. The grave has been conquered. Uh, we have nothing to fear. Thank You for that hope. Thank You for what You are for us. Thank You that You are everything. That You are bridegroom. I pray that we would decrease so that You may increase. Uh, I pray that You just speak through Michael this morning. Speak through Your Word. Speak with power into our hearts, God. In Jesus' name, Amen. I wouldn't say you can be seated, but you're already sitting down. It's, uh, it's good to see each and every one of you this morning. Come on, Phil. I don't. Okay. Can you hear me all right? A uh, couple of uh, announcements. Number one, there's a couple of baskets of eggs in the back that you can take with you when you leave. I Not mean, take both baskets, but grab a dozen as you walk out. Those are for you to have. Um, if you have little ones, there are uh, clipboards in the back with coloring pages. You're welcome to get those for them if you would like. Um, We gather during this hour with whole family. We love kids. We enjoy their presence. They will not bother me. We will learn as a body over time to get used to those distractions if they are at all. So uh, please feel free and don't be concerned if your kids are a little wiggly. Um, I taught school for 18 years. It's it's okay. We'll make it. Um, And we have an anniversary. Mike and Marcia Harwood are celebrating 38 years together. Um, It is a a wonderful testimony and reminder of how good it is that we have a God who keeps covenant with us when we get to celebrate, um, especially in this day and age when that doesn't mean a whole lot sometimes, uh, covenant. So thank you for your example and your faithfulness to one another, and may God give you many, many more years to come. What a what a blessing that is. Uh, I think those are all of the pertinent information. If you need a bulletin, there's an outline in there. You can follow along this morning. You raise your hand. But would be happy to hand you one. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 this morning. We are actually in the middle of a series on Colossians. Um, and it is uh, in God's wonderful timing that our message this morning fits very well with something that's going on today as we celebrate Uh, The resurrection. I got up early this morning uh, as things started lightening up, just went outside and and stood for a while and waited for the sun to rise up over the mountains. Uh, Just a little bit of worship, listening to the birds. There was this bird making just tons of noise, and I thought, that's got to be a big bird. And then, right as I said that, I saw this movement. And he flew and landed right in the tree above me, still making all that noise, beautiful noise. It was about this big. Yeah. That's pretty cool, God. That's, you can make something that big seeing that noisily. Every one of us in this room started out the same way. From the oldest of us to the youngest of us, we began life... Without God, we didn't have a choice in the matter. We showed up because of what Adam did, marred in sin. Even little ones. And if you don't believe me, ask some of the parents around here who have little ones what one-year-olds and two-year-olds, the power that they have in their will. First time they say, no, sinful. But we're also really smart, and over time we learn how to construct a life that seems to work for us. We build a life, and it's possible that that life is, is built on personality. We decide that we can get through life based on our personality, our smile, the way we look, the way we talk, the way we interact with folks. Some of us build a life, though, sort of out of fear, but, but it looks like we're really good little boys and girls. We're just obedient. We kind of do what we're supposed to do, and people say, oh, that's such a good little boy or girl, but there's still wickedness in our heart, and we do that because we like the pats on the back. Some of us want nothing to do with that, and we we make our way through life. Maybe some of you were like this in your past. We're rebellious. We build a life orchestrated around how we can get for ourselves, and I really don't care about you. And maybe others of us are like Jacob that we've talked about over the last several months. You're a manipulator. You build your life around, how can I manipulate the circumstances so that things are good for me? And then something happened. You'd constructed the way you were going to get through life, maybe successfully, maybe not so successfully. But then, in His marvelous goodness and grace, God grabbed your head that was, was simply focused on yourself And he turned it, and you for the first time saw the light of Christ. And compared to this nonsense, wow, forgiveness, no more guilt, no more shame, the power of of God dwelling in me. And like Isaiah, you saw truth. As God turned you and said, Look, I've got something better. And you placed your faith in the crucified and and risen Lord. and, And because of that understanding, as Paul would say in Colossians 1, because you understood the grace of God in truth, you began bearing fruit. You began growing Maybe small, maybe large, depending upon your situation. But then if you're like most people, over time, something else began to happen. Uh, occasionally, you'd become distracted and you'd, you'd take your eyes off of the brilliance of who Christ was. And, and, and because old clothes are comfortable, I, I've got some old clothes that my wife probably wishes that I would get rid of, that really I've had since we've been married. I mean, they're just comfortable and i like those and and so we, we begin to take some things and we begin to add to what what god has done and we we say well you know my personality's not bad i'm going to i'm going to add some things to what god's done i'm going to take we're supposed to be obedient right i'm i'm going to i'm going to live my life and i'm going to check those boxes that i'm supposed to do I'm no longer quite as enamored with the light of Christ. And and I begin to rebuild my life, whatever that looked like, slowly, imperceptibly, maybe even so that nobody else notices, including myself. I I take those things that that I've done and just begin to... And, And then something else happens in life there's this sparkle and glitter off to the side. Uh, Maybe it's pride and I become distracted from the beauty of that light and I begin to say, oh, well, I can do that. Or maybe it's a desire for power that somehow I'm just not satisfied with the power of the living God and I, I choose something else to build my life with. Or or, or maybe it's, it's, it's the lust of what my eyes can see and what my heart desires. And slowly, imperceptibly, we begin to build this thing that just covers up that light. We We... It's like that city on a hill that we're not supposed to, that can't be hidden and yet through the industry of our own efforts and our own personality and the way we do things, the smoke from that industry just kind of obscures the light of Christ and and we can make this look really, really pleasing. We can make this look very Attractive because we can Christianize all this. We can sanctify it because we, by golly, are going to church every Sunday and I'm reading my Bible every day and, you know, I, I, I share Christ with people and I have those spiritual conversations with my brothers and sisters in Christ and all the time I've obscured that vision that Isaiah saw that brought him to his knees. And I don't go to my knees very often anymore. I just, yeah, Jesus is good, and, but I've reconstructed my old life around Christ. And in Colossians 1, Paul is, I think, dealing with that very issue. If we back up, remember, Paul says again, it's a correct understanding of the gospel of the grace of God in truth that causes us to grow, to bear fruit. And Paul, knowing that we as humans do this, the Colossians did this, he prays for them. He prays that they would have a knowledge, a spiritual wisdom, a spiritual understanding. That they wouldn't just try to live their life on their own. And I challenged you last week. Would you pray for one another? I need you to pray for me regularly. We need all of us to pray for one another on a regular basis. That we would understand the grace of God and truth. That we would not be distracted by all the things of this world and the things in our own flesh that tend to pull us away from God. But Paul's not finished. Because not only will we build our lives and will we get distracted, we'll walk out these doors and, and tomorrow we'll tend to forget that today even happened. Next Wednesday, three Fridays from now, life and bills and loved ones who do things that we wish they wouldn't do will just come along and start quacking us upside the head. And the resurrection will kind of just pale because of life. And so what Paul does next after he prays for the Colossians is he gives them a portrait of who Christ is. A portrait that each of us should let me challenge you to be willing to hang in the hall of your mind maybe even choose to memorize this passage so that the Holy Spirit can continually remind you, hey, there's something better than all this nonsense for you to look at. And he begins that portrait in verse 13 of Colossians 1. It goes all the way through verse 20. We're going to stop at 18 this morning. You've got to come back next week for the rest of the story. Because what Paul wants us to understand is We will not, we do not continue to walk in faith if we don't understand the extent of the atonement. And he begins that painting with a portrait of who Christ is. So would you look at Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13 with me this morning. For He rescued us. From the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created both in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him, and for Him. He is before all things. In Him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we look at Your Word this morning, I pray that You would open our eyes, open our ears, our minds, and then ultimately our wills that we might not only understand, but respond in a way that brings You honor and glory and praise. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're actually backing up. We looked at 13 and 14 last week, but I want to look at it again. It's important that we get that foundation. He, talking about the Father rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And I reminded you last week that that could be a very scary proposition. If God grabs me by the nape of the neck and takes me out of the bad place, the lousy place I was in, and brings me into the kingdom, and I stand before Christ, the judge, the rightful judge, I fear that I might respond exactly like Isaiah. Woe is me, I am undone. It's like being taken from the frying pan and put in the fire. What's worse, the domain of darkness or standing before the judge of the universe who is holy and righteous and perfect. And I've just been taken out of the domain of darkness where I was unholy and unrighteous and Far from perfect. And if I stop there, I'm worried. But thankfully, it doesn't stop there. We stand before Christ, he says, in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. And then we can be just like Isaiah who went from in a fetal position going, Oh, no, I'm done. Here am I. Send me because he he knew and understood and felt forgiveness. And that's where Paul starts, what God has done for us. But then he paints this marvelous picture of the one in whom that was done. So let's look at that together, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And there are two words in that verse that should immediately take us back to Genesis 1. Image, creation. Oh yeah, we were made in His image, weren't we? Uh, To be His representatives, to be the ones who would spread His glory among the nations. As we were created, but we also are painfully aware that there was a fall. That image was corrupted. It was marred. It was stained. And so we look at this and we say, "He—that's talking about the Son, Jesus—is the image." Oh, so here's a another one, a, another man. Is he going to be like the rest of us? There's one huge difference. Genesis 1 says we were made in the image of God. Colossians 1 says he is the image of God. We don't have all the information yet, but there's something different about this one than all the other ones. And then Paul fills in a little more detail. He is the firstborn of all creation. Now, in our culture, firstborn just means the oldest. I have a firstborn. That means she came along before the other two. But in that culture, in this word, it's, it takes on a, a different meaning. There's a nuance there that we probably don't get in our culture in, in this day. See, the firstborn had the special status of the heir. And Jesus being the firstborn of all creation implies in that word that He's going to inherit all of creation. Well, now that's different than you and I who are made in His image. So here's this one who's appears to be human, man, the image, but there's something different about Him, something that's... Far greater than me. I'm not going to inherit all of creation. And yet, this one, the one whom I have redemption, is going to. He's the firstborn of all creation. And then Paul tells us why that is in verse 16. For, or you could translate it, because... He's the firstborn of all creation. He's going to inherit all creation because by Him all things were created. Again, I go back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. Yeah, that's right. And now this one, this human, this image of God is the one by whom all things were created. Yeah, that's right. Oh, we get a a different picture of Jesus now. Not only is He man... But there's something bigger about Him. Something divine about Him. Well, maybe it's just like, you know, Chad's got kids. I'm sure they go out in the workshop. They help him. And and maybe maybe you've done this. You run home, Mommy, I made a rocking chair. When really all the little one did was maybe he put a little glue or tightened a clamp or turned a screw. He didn't really make anything. Maybe that's what we're talking about here. He is called the Son, after all. Maybe maybe the Father did all the work and the Son was just there getting in the way. Except that's not what the text says. It says all things were created both in heavens and on earth. That's not just a screw or a little bit of glue. Visible and invisible. Everything that we see and then all those things that we don't see, including the atoms that make up all that we see, and the spiritual realm that we're oblivious to half the time. He created all of that. He wasn't just helping in the workshop. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him. Whether you take those as earthly powers, dominions, rulers, authorities, or, or spiritual powers like we read about in Daniel 9 and 10. That's irrelevant, I think, to Paul's point. He created everything, and therefore everything is by necessity subject to Him. You and me. Nature, the spiritual realm... He created it all, therefore He's over all. And if we begin to think about that, if we let our minds dwell on that, we can begin to move some things back out of obscuring who He is. We can take some of those things and and begin to recapture our first love. But Paul is not finished. Notice that it says, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Now, we know that God is good. And when we say that, usually what we mean is, God is good to me. I don't deny that. That's very true. I can't imagine how... I can't comprehend how good God has been to me. The simple fact of the death and resurrection of His Son that gave me life. That's right. God is good to me. God created this world for us. He placed us here and gave us food and beauty and the sun and the rain. He did that for us. But the ultimate reality is, is that He did all that for Himself. It's not about you and me. We are marvelous beneficiaries of what God has done, but it's not about us. All that we see, all that we see was created for Him. And so the response should be, How do I take care of His creation? See, in the garden, He gave the command to care for and tend the garden, to take care of it. Best that I can tell, that mandate has not been taken away. How are we doing in caring and tending for God's creation, for managing it, for allowing it to be productive, for His glory? And I'm not just talking about inanimate objects or nature. See, God created everything. That includes you and that includes me and that includes your neighbor. How are you doing intending and caring for your neighbor? Are you helping that soil through your behavior, through your words, through your actions become tender that the Holy Spirit could deposit a seed of truth? What about your neighbors that are believers? Are you helping them cultivate their garden, so to speak, that they might be productive and produce fruit? Are you encouraging them and helping them to get the weeds out so they're not choked out? That implies that you know your neighbors. That implies that you pray for them, that you care about them, that you spend time interacting with them, that you know how to tend that soil when you're like that some of these things necessarily go away so that other people can see who Christ is slowly over time when we begin to think about other people and how we care for God's creation necessarily he becomes brighter Verse 17, He's before all things, and all things hold together in Him or are sustained in Him. Uh, the word before can mean either before in time or before as in priority of rank. Both of those fit well in this passage. Uh, he was before all of creation, He existed from eternity past. The second person of the Trinity did. He also holds the priority of rank. If He created everything, He's bigger than everything. He's more important than everything. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. He keeps us orbiting around the sun. He causes the seasons to change. He's concerned about us. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But even the simplest, smallest atom—if you have any familiarity at all with chemistry—atoms are made up of protons and electrons and neutrons. Protons are positively charged particles. Electrons are negatively charged particles. And if you've ever taken a positive and a negative battery and tried to put them—I mean, a magnet—try to put them together, or two, they—a positive and a, and a negative should repel one another, right? Or I mean, I'm sorry, all those negative electrons should repel one another, right? But instead, they just kind of hang around together. All those protons that are tightly packed together in a nucleus should not hold together. They should repel one another because two positives, magnets don't touch each other. And yet that nucleus is held together by something scientists call a strong force. Well, yeah, it is. It is a strong force. Creator of the universe holds all things together. And at this point in time, as as I'm looking at this passage over the last several months, there's there's a thought that occurs to me that I'm afraid to ask. I don't know if it's occurred to you or not. God, you're so big. You're so above, so different than me. Am I, is what we do here, is, is what I do on a daily basis of really any concern to you? You're ordering the universe. You're holding it all together. Do I matter? Do we matter? Does Christ, community, church matter in the grand scheme of things to what you're doing? And then I read verse 18. He is also head of the body, the church. He's got the universe to run, but you know what? He is intimately concerned with what goes on in his church in the same way that our head is intimately connected with our body. You remove the head, the body ceases to function. We don't even think in in those terms, really. Oh, this is my head, this is my body. It's it's all my body, right? It's, It's all intimately connected. He is intimately connected with us. The one who created and runs and rules and manages the universe. He's head of the body, the church. That word head can have two different meanings. It can mean authority. Certainly Jesus is Lord of the church. He is in charge of what goes on. But it can also mean Source. It can also mean the one that goes before. And certainly, Jesus is leading us in triumph. And He did go before us. As Paul continues on, He's the beginning. The beginning of what, Paul? The firstborn from the dead. See, we gather this morning particularly to celebrate the resurrection. And Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. First, as Winnie the Pooh says, if there's a one way, there must be a two way. If there's a first, there must be more that follows. See, we don't just celebrate His resurrection this morning. We really celebrate the fact that there's going to be another resurrection. The church is going to be raised in glory one day. See, if it was just Jesus' resurrection and I'm still stuck here and I'm still going to die and decompose and decay and be done, well, that's nice. He deserves my honor and praise and glory But there's more. He's the firstborn from the dead, not the only one who was resurrected. You and I have hope because of the example, because of the miracle of God raising Him from the dead. We have an opportunity to participate in that as we walk with Him. Hope in that. Share that with others. The one who is creator of all. The one who will inherit all. The one who is intimately concerned with His church, universal, is also intimately concerned with you, individually. It's not just that the church is going to be raised. You, individually, will be raised from the dead if Christ is your Savior. You, individually. Out of the the vastness of creation up this morning before the sun comes up and there's we can see with our eyes hundreds maybe thousands of stars I don't know what the number is that we can actually see but we know there are millions out there and then there are billions of people on this planet that God has created there's trees and plants and animals that that God continues to have do what they do each season, year in and year out. And each one of us individually have the hope of resurrection. And we need to dwell on that. We need to think on that. And when we do, the light of Christ shines brightly. So brightly, in fact, as Paul says, as we've talked about before, that he says, when that is where our mind is fixed, he says, we have this treasure in clay pots so that the power is of God and not of ourselves. It's removing all these things that we have tried to build into our lives so that we can function, so that we can have peace and joy, and they don't bring that The light of Christ in our lives is the only thing that does that and the only thing that is bright enough, that's powerful enough to shine through our broken clay pots that the world may see and go, what is that? Which then gives us an opportunity to say, let me tell you what that is. Let me tell you about the time that I had constructed my life and God grabbed my gaze and had me look at His risen Son. And I knew that that was far superior to this. His Holy Spirit opened my mind to see the grace of God in truth. But we're so easily distracted. We're going to walk out those doors in just a few minutes and life is going to happen. It may be wonderful, good things. Time with family, time with friends, a celebration of an anniversary. Those are wonderful things. But ever so slowly, if we're not careful, if we don't keep our eyes, our mind, fixed on the truth of... The God of the universe died for me and was resurrected that I might have life. If we allow that to escape, we will begin to fill it with other stuff. So Paul prayed for the Colossians that they have spiritual understanding. And then he painted a beautiful picture of this one in hopes that they would grasp on to that image. The firstborn of all creation is also the firstborn from the dead. The one who is the image of God is also the head of the church. The one for whom all things were created is the one who promises my resurrection. So let me encourage you this morning. You have a God who loves you. Individually, He loves you, but He also loves those people that are around you. And He has, through His graciousness and His goodness and His mercy, placed us in a fellowship of believers where we can encourage one another, Hey, you're distracted. Remember? Keep focus. Keep focus. We can come alongside each other and say, it's not worth your time. It's not worth your effort. Whatever we do in the coming days and weeks and months, may this Easter be a reminder. May this image be of the light of Christ, be a reminder that you have something to look at. And the good news is, because He died and was resurrected for you, you don't have to fall into the fetal position like Isaiah did and say, woe is me for I am undone. When you gaze at the beauty and majesty and wonder of Christ, and this is a lousy imitation of that. When you gaze at the wonder and beauty and majesty of Christ, you can stand like Isaiah and say, Here am I, send me. And through the power of His Holy Spirit, He will enable you to take one step after another. And so, my encouragement to you is to not let this day end and say, well, the celebration of the resurrection is over. Because you can celebrate that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and next Wednesday and three Fridays from now when life is giving you this upside the head, you can say, no, I have hope because of the resurrection of the dead. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we rejoice in your goodness to us. we rejoice in the gift of your Son who though being the very image of God truly God chose to have that veiled he chose to give up the rights and prerogatives of heaven and come to earth and live as I have lived And die as I hope I never will have to. That I might have life. So God, I pray that you would remind us of that. Each of us. God, I pray that if there are those in this room who have not yet gazed at your majesty and your wonder and your beauty. And said, that's better than what I'm doing. That you would work in their hearts even now turn their gaze to You and and do a miracle in them. And then I pray that You would encourage them to um, speak to their their friend here this morning, speak to a parent, speak to a neighbor of, of what You have done in them. God, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. And as we continue in our time of worship this morning, uh, may you truly be glorified. And as we leave here this morning, may our lives reflect the fact that we have gazed at your majesty and may we shine for this world, for the communities that we live in, that our neighbors might see us, but in reality, may they see you in us. Again, that you may be glorified.